0: form of your son, vulnerable human flesh, that could be hurt, They could be tortured, They could be spit on and insulted, and yet accomplished redemption for us. So we give you thanks. We give you thanks. And now would you give us the grace to uh, understand your word better, to hear it. I pray you give me the grace to speak it correctly, but also graciously, gently. I pray for those who um, are already thinking this is going to be a difficult thing to hear. Would Would you help them even now? And may we just, may we just hear your word this morning and accept it. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a, uh, I'm sure it's a fictional story. It must be. But uh, I heard a pastor tell this story once. That means it's not, that means it's not true, I'm sure. (laughs) But... He he said there was, a, there was a man visiting a village once. And as he was visiting the village, they invited him to dinner. And they went down by the river. And, and all the people are down there eating. And as he was eating, he saw this crocodile come out of the water and take a big chop out of someone's leg. And, and the visitor's like, whoa! <laughs> and... And the villagers kind of got up and bandaged the guy that got chomped, and then they just went back to eating. And the guys like, "Wait a minute! Did did you just see that? You know?" And they kind of just nod their head and they just kept eating. But he's like, "That was a crocodile that came up out of the like. We should do something." And they just kind of nodded and they just kept eating. Later, as as the, the man walked through the village, he saw. In the village, people that had limbs missing—hands and ears and legs—and and he's like, "This this must be the crocodile." And so he started to talk to somebody and say, "What's going on here? Why are all these people wounded and, and bandaged up? And this, these crocodiles are, are taking chunks out of you? And why don't you deal with it?" And, he, and, and the person kind of, the person next to him said, "Well, we we don't talk about it." He's like, "Wait, but but wouldn't it be better to like?" See, here's when they come up out of the water. Here's how you can be careful. Here's how you can protect yourself. No, I mean, you see, in our culture, it's impolite to talk about crocodiles. So we don't. And with that, the visitor shook his head and didn't know what to do. Uh, Divorce is a topic that is uncomfortable. It's not an easy thing. Um, It's painful. And yet even though it might not be polite to talk about it, we ought to talk about it because Jesus talked about it. Um, I remember early on in my time here, I think we had a visitor in the church one Sunday, and I think I told a story that had to do with divorce. And the person came up to me afterwards and said, I really had no business telling a story that had to do with divorce because we shouldn't be talking about that in church. Um, I strongly disagree with that. And yet, I, I take no personal pleasure in preaching on this. Uh, I remember years ago, uh, as, as a young youth pastor, zealous for the Word of God, I remember our senior pastor was out of town for a week, and I was looking at his sermon series, and I noticed in his series, I think the Sunday that I was going to fill in for him, the topic was divorce. And I thought, oh, well, I'm ready for that. I'm going I'm to take that on. You know, I'm newly married. I know everything about marriage. You know? And I'm ready to give it. And uh, I don't remember if wisdom got the better of me or if probably my senior pastor just said, "Niall, I'm going to take that topic. You're not going to preach that, you know." <laughs> and so I didn't. I did something else. Uh, but thank goodness I did something else because uh, th- this is one where if you love people, if you've been touched by this, you know it's painful. You know it's hard. And so I don't want any of my words to wound. If Jesus' words wound, okay. I don't want mine to. I, I want to be careful. So um, would, you, would you do me the favor of hearing these words and saying, if this hurts, it might be because there, there's conviction going on. And sometimes in the church we mistake conviction for, offense for conviction. I'm offended. It might be the Holy Spirit trying to convict you somewhere, okay? So, so, so give me the, the courtesy of, of working that through in your heart. And uh, give me the grace if I don't say something as gently as you would have preferred it. I'm trying to. I preached through this. I preached through everything I wanted to say very slowly last night. And I hope to do that right now as well. Um, the other thing I want to do is um, if you have a question about divorce... I want to entertain those at the end of the sermon or during cross-training, which is our sermon discussion time. If I have time at the end, I might take a few questions. Uh, so my, my cell phone number is on the back of the bulletin, so if you take that and you want to text me something, uh, it will be anonymous. I'll keep it that way. I won't call you out, and I'll try to answer that, either at the conclusion of this or uh, in, in cross-training. I'm not promising. There's the promise, right? I'm only saying... I'm only saying I will try to get to it. If it seems like it won't be good for us to go there as a church, I won't answer the question. So I'll try to use wisdom in that, okay? So let's talk about the crocodiles, okay? Would you turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 31? Matthew 5, verse 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I, that meaning Jesus, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery. Anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, to get a bigger context, Jesus said this more than once. So to get the full context of when he would talk about this, I'd like you to go to Matthew chapter 19. Because he's going to say the same thing again. He is consistent in his teaching. Matthew 19. uh, We'll do 1 through 9. 9. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But this was not the way it was from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. There's our verse again repeated. Now, let me tell you what's going on here, what's going on in the background here. This is a test for Jesus. I mean, Jesus, Jesus would say this anyway, but when the Pharisees came to him, they wanted to test him. They wanted to see what his answer was. And just like it, often in America, the denomination that you go to, the church you attend, can have different beliefs from the other. And it was back then that you had two different rabbis who were well-known teachers in Judaism, and they had different opinions on this. Now, I want to take you to the... So keep your finger in Matthew 19, and I want to take you to the reason they were asking this question in Deuteronomy 24. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy 24. This is the reason the Pharisees were testing Jesus. Deuteronomy 24, if you have the same pew Bible that I have, it's page 137. It says, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, and if, after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she's been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord to not bring sing upon the land of the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So they read this. They read this passage and there's not a lot of talk of divorce in the Mosaic Law. It's just not, it's not there a lot. But this is one of the passages where, here it is, it comes up as a topic. And, there were two rabbis who had different views on Deuteronomy 24. There was Rabbi Shammai. Okay? Can we get his view up? Rabbi Shammai said, he allowed it in cases of grave matrimonial offense. So, so the question in Deuteronomy 24 is, the husband in verse 1 says, find something indecent, that's the word there, quote unquote, indecent about her. And so they were like debating, what's the indecent thing that, that the husbands found out? How do you define indecent? Rabbi Shammai said things like adultery, huge, grave, matrimonial offense. And if you find that out, you may get divorced. On the other hand, there's a guy named Rabbi Hillel, and he took a, a much more loose approach to what does that word indecent mean. He would say, "It's indecent to have your food burnt by your wife." Okay. Fortunately, no man amen that one. Good for you. Good for you. You make it yourself. Burn your own food. All right. On a, on a less humorous, and, and that's true. I mean, that's what he said, Rabbi Hillel. Um, on a more serious note, I think this one's. This is really not funny. But he allowed it if you found someone fairer, prettier. It's not quite a no-fault divorce like we have in this country. But it's getting pretty close. It's getting pretty close. When you can look for something, quote-unquote, indecent, even if it's minor, and say, to me it's indecent, I want a divorce. And so what the Pharisees were asking Jesus is, how do you read it, Jesus? Who do you follow in answering this question on divorce? Jesus' answer in Matthew 19, of course, is brilliant. I mean, every time he gets asked something, he has this amazing answer that this kind of, it's just just the right thing. So let's go back to Matthew 19. And they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? By the way, I I don't know if I said this as strongly as I wanted to, but can you see the injustice this is for women? I hope you understand this. This is a huge injustice for the wives in the marriage. I'd say the children are also impacted in a huge way because these men were trying to loosen the command of God, to foolishly interpret it. So the stakes are high in Jesus' answer. Verse 4 is his answer. Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? So they're no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, where God has joined together, let no one separate. This is what Jesus does. I just want you to catch it, because it's, it's, it's wonderful. They, they say, tell us when we can divorce And Jesus says, let me tell you about marriage. Okay, Do do you catch what's going on here? Tell us about divorce. Jesus says, no, I'm going to tell you about marriage. Point number one then is this. Divorce cannot be understood unless marriage is first understood. Divorce cannot be understood unless marriage is first understood. You see... We, like people in Jesus' day, this is part of the human condition. Tell me where the line is. Tell me what kind of swearing I have to do to tell the truth, right? Tell me the promise I need to make and then I'll know that it's true. Tell me where the line is so I don't cross it. Which totally misses God's creative purpose in marriage. It totally misses the point. You can't understand divorce unless you understand marriage first. And... I say this also applies to issues of another church issue that we have today, so-called gay marriage. It applies because a lot of churches that are compromising on that issue are compromising because they're saying things like, well, look, homosexuality commands are only there a handful of times in the Bible. There's only a few passages that even deal with this. One of my responses to that is, wait, wait, wait. Marriage is clearly defined. God didn't leave it open-ended. You go back to Genesis and you can see God's creative purposes for marriage. It's a man, it's a woman, it's for life. And so you can't understand that issue of today unless you understand marriage. And and so I think I say that to you because... Look, I'm a young guy in the church. I, I can't take you back to the 50s, 60s, and 70s and, and, and tell you. Even the 80s, I'm just a young guy. You know, I'm a young kid. I don't know what the church has said about divorce all those years. But I know that if a couple comes to me and they ask me to marry them, and let's say, biblically speaking, they should not be married. Maybe one of them is a believer, one of them is an unbeliever. Maybe... Maybe they were divorced for wrong reasons before. And if I tell them, no, I won't do that wedding, I'm guessing that nine times out of ten, maybe even ten times out of ten, they say, I'll just go to another church. I'll find someone that will do this wedding. And guess what? They will find someone to do it. They will find someone to compromise the Bible and do that wedding. That's just the way it is. I, w- I once, uh, as a youth pastor, was asked to do a wedding, and the couple was living together, and they both were believers, and I said, the Bible says you should not be, be doing this, you know? Keep the marriage bed pure, says the book of Hebrews. And, and, and they, they looked me in the eye and said, okay, can we talk to the other pastor on staff here? And I'm like, no, no, you, you're not interacting with a pastor on this, you're interacting with the Word of God on this. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter Niall's opinion at all. That means zero. This is what matters. Can we interact on this? You can't understand divorce unless you understand marriage. And Jesus takes it back to Genesis. And so part of me wonders if, because a lot of churches are wringing their hands over the marriage issues of today, with, uh, with, with, with so-called gay marriage. But have we created this issue for ourselves by not proclaiming true marriage in the church? That's what I wonder. That's what I wonder. Have we done this to ourselves? I read a Barna study from um, 2008, and he interviewed almost 4,000 couples and did a survey The divorce rate amongst non-Christians, non-born-again Christians is 33%. 33% of the people he surveyed were divorced. The divorce rate amongst born-again Christians is 32%. So it's a true statistic that we are right there with the culture around us. We're right there. And I don't say that to be harsh. I only say it that has the church lost something in proclaiming what marriage truly is? I think we've done this to ourselves partially. Um, By the way, uh, definition of marriage, definition of marriage from Genesis, right? Jesus is defining it right here. You know, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Uh, What is marriage? One man, one woman, one flesh, for life. I mean, there's your definition of marriage. One man, one woman, one flesh, for life. That's it. Okay. Number two. Number two. Uh, the Pharisees want to ask them, uh, verse 7. Why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Is, is, that, is that what you read in Deuteronomy 24, by the way? You know? Uh, it's a command. Deuteronomy 24 is a command? There's only one command in Deuteronomy chapter 24, uh, verses 1 through 4, the ones that we read. There's only one command. There's a lot of ifs. It says, if a husband divorces his wife. And, and if she gets remarried, and, and if the, the new husband, the second husband, dies, the command is she can't remarry the first husband. That's the command of Deuteronomy 24, 1-4. That's the command. They're treating the certificate of divorce like a command. Do you see that? So Moses commanded a certificate of divorce. You know what they're doing? Um, they're, 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 they're doing this. Isn't it great if I can say, here's where the line is, and I'm not going to step over it? And isn't it even better if I can go all the way up to the line and say, I am righteous. You know, I'm righteous standing on this line. If I step over, I've sinned. But I'm right here on the edge, and I'm righteous. That's what they're doing. They're saying, we gave the certificate of divorce. We did everything we're supposed to do, and in fact, we are righteous we're righteous to divorce that person because moses quote-unquote commanded it so look up to us in our righteousness do you see the ugliness of that statement did you see that divorce is never some sort of righteous hey look at me you know and you know that i know you already know that because you're my friends and I've talked to my friends in this church that have been divorced, and nobody would ever say to me, that was that was a great thing. That was a great thing. But this is the way they're trying to turn it around in Jesus' day. Maybe the lesson for us as the American church is this. In Wisconsin, we have no-fault divorce. You can, you can get a divorce, and whether your spouse wants it or not, it will go through. It will go through. You don't have to prove that there was unfaithfulness, or there was some other indecency, you can just do that. And maybe you get a piece of paper at the end of that signed by a judge or someone at the courthouse that says, yes, this is a divorce. It it was legal. It happened. Legally, it's okay. But the question to ask is, what does God's righteousness require of me? Just because it's the law of the land doesn't make it the law of God. And that's what they were trying to get at here. Well, we did it legally. We gave the certificate the way we were supposed to. Which leads to number three. So they asked Jesus a question in verse seven. Why did Moses command this? Verse eight, Jesus says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But this is not the way it was from the beginning. Okay? I don't even think I got to my point in number two. Go back to number two for a second. (laughs) Uh, This is Jesus' point. Divorce is not a command. It's a concession due to hardness of heart. Uh, All divorce tells you is this. There was sin there. There was sin there. Guess what? There's sin in my marriage too. If you marry somebody, you're going to marry a sinner. There's no no, uh, perfect people out there to pick from. And, And what divorce shows is, yes, there was a hard heart there in the marriage. It's a concession. It's a, it's a, because sin exists in the world, divorce has to exist too. It's a concession by God to allow for sin. Now I want to do number three. So here's Jesus' teaching. Now we've gone through all of that. Here's his bottom line. Let me answer your question, Pharisees. I've talked about marriage. I've talked about what it is and what it's not. Now, verse 9. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So number three, divorce must be, by the church I'm talking, I'm talking to the church today, divorce must be regarded as a drastic option available only to those who have been wounded by sexual infidelity. That's a hard word. That's a hard word. Hard for me to say it out loud. Jesus gives the famous exception clause in verse 9, except for sexual immorality. So if you divorce for the wrong reasons, like incompatibility, because you've fallen out of love, and then you marry somebody else, you've become an adulterer. I want to address that a few minutes later, but that is the word here. You become an adulterer if you've done that. If you've divorced for the wrong reasons and then remarried, And if you married somebody that divorced for the wrong reasons, you've committed adultery with them. So what's the exception clause mean? Well, there's two words Jesus could have used for adultery. The word he used is porneia. We can pull that up on the background here. Porneia is the word he used right here, except for sexual immorality. It's except for porneia. We get the word pornography from that. Um, fornication, unchastity, prostitution. Prostitutes are called uh, porne in Greek. So b- because this word is used in different contexts, different kinds of sins, I think it's very safe to interpret this as meaning a broad range of sexual sins. It's a broad range of them. He could have used the word moikea. We can pull that one up. That's just Adultery. And that's not the word Jesus chose. He does use that word at times, but he didn't use that word this time. So apparently, Jesus' teaching is, and I think a sound interpretation is, that for a broad range of sexual sins, you are allowed by the Lord to divorce. And I believe in conjunction with that, you'd also be free to remarry. Now, just taking this from a logical standpoint, you know, just just jesus, are you being logical here? and i think he is because if a man and a woman leave their father and mother and they become one flesh, we all know that one flesh happens partially and in, in, in a huge way because they become intimate together. They've shared the marriage bed together. They become one flesh. That's the that is the union that's talked about When we talk about one flesh, if that covenant of one flesh is broken with somebody else, then logically that one flesh has been broken as well. There's a violation of that one flesh, which would make sense to allow for divorce. I'm just following Jesus' train of logic. This passage brings up many questions. I don't think I've received any. Maybe I have to look at my phone and not my iPad. Chris, do you want to turn on my phone? In my, it's in the black bag there, and just, just to make sure if someone's doing a question or not. Um, so I want to say three things. I want to say three last words here, and I want to address certain groups of people. Let me address first uh, those who have been unlawfully divorced. So you're sitting here and you're saying, I fall in the category where I got divorced not for the right reasons. By the way, um, in 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul also adds to this list and says, if you're married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever divorces you, let him go. Let him go. Some people call that the Pauline privilege. I think that's what it's called. But if, someone, if you're married to an unbeliever and they abandon you, let them go. You are free. You're not bound to that person. And again, I would take it to mean to be not bound would also be free to remarry. Um, okay, let me speak to the unlawfully divorced. You got a divorce and you realize it was for the wrong reasons. What do you do now? Let's say you're remarried. Let's say that too. Let's assume that you're remarried. Isaiah 55, 7, and 8. You can go there, or I will just read it for you. But you need need to hear this. You need to hear this. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways declares the Lord. If you have unlawfully divorced, you, you can come to this realization that my ways were not God's ways. My thoughts were not God's thoughts. I messed this up. And then you go to him. It says, let the wicked man forsake his way." So you go and you say, I repent. I forsake this. I don't want this. I know that I'm wrong. Should you divorce again? Well, no, that would be a double... You'd sin again. Why would you sin again? You'd remain married. But you say, wait a minute. That means I've committed adultery with the person that I married. Yes, you have. And so you go to the Lord and you say, forgive me. I repent of this. And he forgives you. It says in Isaiah, he will have mercy on you. He will have mercy. Mercy is is not getting what you deserve, right? Right? It's not getting what you deserve. And so, you can come to the Lord and you can say things like this. I know that my divorce was wrong. And I know that I've opened the door to consequences. Discipline from the Lord. Hard things for my children. Uh, I've opened the door to pain. There are real consequences to this divorce that I did. Okay? Okay? But what does the word of mercy say? A word of mercy says you can go to the Lord and say, Lord, I know you're merciful. Would you lighten the consequences in my life? That's a good prayer. Would you lighten the consequences of this unlawful divorce? I confess it before you. I repent. And then Jesus Jesus forgives you. And perhaps he lightens the consequences in your life. It's a good word. Isaiah's a good word for you. Okay. To those in troubled marriages. By the way, if you unlawfully divorced, let me just be clear: if you've repented, you can be a member of this church, you know? We're not trying to create first and second-class Christians. I don't go through the list of sins with people before they join the church, you know. Um, If we did that for me, they probably wouldn't have made me pastor, you know. So let's just keep that in mind. Let's keep that in mind. No second-class Christians. Thank you very much. We're equal at the foot of the cross. To those in troubled marriages, I would say this. Uh, would you look at Matthew 17:18? It's probably a few pages away from where you were, right? And you're going to scratch your head when you read this, okay? If you're in a troubled marriage, you're going to read this and go, what in the world does he mean by this? Okay? Let's say you're in a troubled marriage and divorce has been on the table as an option. This is what I'd say to you. More, more appropriate, this is what Jesus would say to you, I think. Matthew 17:18. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy. He was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and they asked, why couldn't we drive it out, the demon that is? And he replied, because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. So let's say this. Uh, Malachi says God hates divorce. Why would you do something that God hates? Malachi also says, "And I I hate divorce, and I hate a man's covering himself with violence as if with a garment." And I've often interpreted that. That's a hard passage to interpret, by the way. Why does God say I hate divorce and I hate violence? You know, I, I think they're together because divorce does violence to a family. It does violence to relationships. It's hard on kids. That's Malachi. You should look it up and read it. It's a good word. Do whatever you have to do to get help in your marriage. You might say, but I'm, I'm, I'm only, I, I, I didn't do that horrible thing in the marriage. I, I, I didn't create the offense. I, I don't care if it's 80-20 But but there's 20% of you, there's 10% of you, there's something for you to work on. I heard one marriage counselor say this. He said, he was talking to a couple that was heading for divorce and he said to them, you can talk to me now during this hard time in your marriage, or you can talk to me during your second marriage, but I'll see you either way. The, the, The issues in the first marriage will not evaporate by your second marriage. You might as well deal with them now because you're both the same sinners no matter what relationship you're in. I say sinners knowing that I'm one of those as well and that I've had to work through my own things. Um, If you say, we're not compatible, I don't love this person the way I love them. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, if you're married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever is willing to stay married to you, you stay married to that person. How much more incompatible do you need than a believer in Jesus Christ and an unbeliever? That's not compatible, friends. That's not compatible. That might be one of the biggest examples of incompatibility there is. And... And God says, stay married. Stay married. Yes, you're incompatible. Stay married. So back to our passage. The disciples couldn't cast out this demon, and and Jesus does it just like that. And and then they say, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we cast a demon out? And Jesus says, well, you didn't have faith. All you need is faith. It's about this big. It only has to be about this big and then it would work and you can move a mountain with that kind of faith. And so you've got a mountain in your marriage. Understand, nothing is impossible with God. With God, the virgin gives birth to a child. With God, the blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised to life, and the mountain in your marriage can be moved over here. That's the word of God for you this morning. Nothing is impossible with God including how whatever's going on in your marriage. All you have to have is faith that's about this big. And it will move. It will move. Don't give up. Ask God for something impossible. Because you know, at the end of the day, I don't think God is going to say to you, what, you want me to help you in your marriage? Can't do that. Don't believe in marriage. No, you know He's going to help you. I know He can't change your spouse. I know that. There's a submission that has to happen. But He can change you. And you're half of this whole thing. In some ways, you might even be more than half. Remember that. Finally, to the singles. To the singles looking to marry, I say this. Singles. Would you look back at Matthew nineteen, ten, and 11? So after Jesus said all these hard things, all these hard things, this is what the disciples said. You know, the, boy, hard teaching, Jesus. The disciples said to Him, in verse 10, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. No one amend me there. Okay, alright, alright, alright. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word about not marrying, but only those for whom it has been given. Not everybody can be single their whole life. That's hard. Being celibate's hard. Which is why I've said many times in the past, we ought to honor those that have have devoted themselves to singleness. It's a gift in a sense because you're able to be wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. Only those to whom this is given. Jesus says. Many people can't accept that word. It'd just be too hard not to be married. Okay? Singles. Teenagers. I I so remember, I remember preaching this passage to a group of teenagers, and there was like shock and awe after it was over. Like we always do question and answer when I was a youth pastor. Always question and answers, you know? And at the end, they're asking questions, and it's like shock. Shock. Like, really? You're telling me if I marry somebody that the only way out is if there's adultery or they die? Whoa! And I, and I remember people that have been in the youth group for many years, people that have been loving Jesus and, and, and following him, and they're just like, I don't, I, don't, I don't like this. And like they said it to the group, and I'm like, Whoa! I just, I just, I just kind of assumed many of you would believe like this already because this is what marriage is one man, one woman, one flesh for life. I just assumed you knew that. They didn't know it. They didn't know it. Singles, be shocked by this, please. Be shocked. You get one shot at this. That's a biblical view. You get one shot. So how well do you know that person you're thinking about marrying? What kind of character do they have? Because one day you're going to get old. You're not going to look the best. Sorry. You reach your peak when you're in your 20s, right? Maybe your 30s. But after that, man, all bets are off. (laughs) Right? I say that because I'm still in my 30s. (laughs) Sorry. I'm totally sorry about that. Man, that was stupid. Um. But you you hit these good years, right? Where you look really good. Friends, you're not going to look that good forever. You hit your peak. Um, I believe character, the character of someone, is a physically, somehow, in in a spiritual sense, is a physically attractive feature. But I can say Christy's beautiful, because she is beautiful. But when we're old she'll still have that same character. Thank you. She'll still have that same character about her that I fell in love with in the beginning. Do you know the person you're marrying? You better know them. And then let's say you get married, and and I've talked to couples and they've said this to me. Whoa! We're not as compatible as we thought once we got married. (laughs) You know? How many of you felt that way? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Whoa! I didn't realize it would be this hard. I didn't realize we were going to do this once we got married. (sighs) Take it easy. Breathe deep. You're going to get married and find out, yes, you married a sinner. And more than that, you realize that you are the sinner. You realize that you are the problem. Who's the problem in Niall and Christie's marriage? It's me. It's me! (sighs) You... you, (laughs) Alright, alright. Take it easy there. Take it easy there. <laughs> I'll sober us up for a second. Some of you singles are full of lust. You're going to get married and find out that doesn't go away. You still get to deal with that same sin. One pastor I heard said, it actually gets worse. <laughs> uh... Some of you have the ideal person in your mind that you're not going to settle for less than. That's awesome. They better have character, right? They better love the Lord, right? But sometimes we have a long checklist. and Then you marry that person and find out they can't possibly meet all that. Soulmates? I don't use the word soulmate. I, I want to be the Christian husband. I I, I, don't, I don't, you know... Did Christy find the right person? I hope that I am the right person because I'm living that way. Because I'm doing that. So singles, please be shocked. And may your shock help you look for the right person in that they love the Lord and they have character. You know? Because physical stuff will fade away. Character. Love for the Lord. That will look beautiful forever. Forever. And then you develop your character. Okay. I'll leave it there. Be shocked. Be shocked. Be the man of God or the woman of God he's called you to be. And then honestly, you know what? If a man of God and a woman of God get married, and if they're devoted to the biblical definition of marriage, it's all going to work out. I don't care how hard it gets. I don't care how many tears. I mean, I do care about those tears, but none of those tears, none of the hardship will break you because God is at the center. God is at the center. I think I said more to the singles than anybody else. I don't know. I don't know what that's about. Okay. Someone needed to hear it, I guess. Uh, Singles, you're entering into a lifelong binding covenant with a person, for better or for worse, with God at the center. That's what you're getting into. Okay, Um, I got some, I have some, we're going to cut the last song, Eric, I think, and I'm going to see if I can answer any questions here. Um, This one says, wonderfully said, when this is what we believe, how do we talk with those in our lives who have divorced, divorced and remarried, and who are getting divorced, that see nothing wrong with it? Those in and out of the church. I think the the out-of-the-church question is difficult because if you're outside the church, what what do you have to go back on but the law of the land? And the law of the land says, at least in Wisconsin, no-fault divorce. You don't need to prove an indiscretion. You can just get divorced. The, The spouse doesn't need to agree to it. The court will move it through. And I know for some of you that has broken you because I know your stories. So for that, for those outside the church, there has to be an intense prayer and a sharing that only the gospel of Christ will heal this. Only the gospel will be stronger than the law of the land. Okay, There has to be transformation through Christ for someone to submit to Jesus and say, I'm not doing what the state of Wisconsin says I can do and what my heart says to do. I'm doing what the heart of Christ says to do. So I, I'd back up the truck and say, there has to be a talk of, who are you following? If you're king of, you, of your own life, well then I suppose you get divorced. But if Jesus is king, then we act differently. We listen to what he says. I, I would, but, but let me say this. I would still say things like, if I was talking to someone outside the church, I would also say things like, Do you know the pain this is going to cause you? Do you know the pain it's going to cause your spouse, your kids? Do you understand the, the consequences of this? You, could even, you can easily find statistics that are scary. I don't know if I'd try to scare people, but I'd speak the truth. People in their second marriage, the divorce rate goes sky high during the second marriage. It goes sky high. Why might that be? Because... The issues in the first marriage were never resolved. They were never resolved. So you might as well, before you get divorced, try to resolve those issues. I, th- I think I'd say that to the to the unbeliever and the believer. You might as well try to resolve the issues in your marriage. Because you're going to carry them wherever you go. Let's see if this thing might work yet. Get some counseling. Uh, to those in the church... You get to answer in a couple ways. You could say everything I just said. Consider the pain. Consider the consequences. Consider that you're going to take baggage into the next relationship. The baggage is going to be there. You might as well unpack it now while you're in the first marriage and take a look at it. You may as well. For those in the church, I would say things like this. Jesus has forgiven you for everything you've done. I'm not using that as emotional manipulation. I'm just saying that's the gift of God in Jesus Christ. It's possible that you could give your spouse a gift like that and forgive them and reconcile. Because while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. And so your spouse may look like the enemy. You can give them grace and mercy. And even if you stay within a difficult marriage for the rest of your life, it's to the glory of God, and he will use that in big ways. He will bless you in ways you can't even imagine right now. There's a reward for those who stay in difficult marriages. There's a book I recommend at the end of, this, um, at the end of your notes called Sacred Marriage. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than he designed it to make us happy? That book in a big way, is about being in a difficult marriage and seeing the hand of God in it. I think you've got to talk about that. What's God doing in your difficult marriage? How can you give Him glory in it? How can you stay married to this person you feel so distant from? It might be your cross to bear. Or it might be that at some point in the future... Your spouse surrenders in an incredibly beautiful way that you never would have believed or imagined because God did a work. If you don't wait to see the work, you won't see it. I think I'd say those kind of things. So there's, there's the spiritual peace. There's, there's Jesus' command. What does Jesus tell us to do? Jesus tells us we can't divorce unless it's sexual unfaithfulness. Um... Somebody, uh, the question that always comes up, and maybe we'll deal with it more in cross-training, is abuse. What do you do with abuse? And um, I think if you want the answer to that, let's let's dialogue during cross-training, because I could go another 20 minutes on that, and we'll be here quite a while. But the Bible's silent on abuse, although it does say, if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. And... Often that's exactly what's happening with abuse. You can't live with the person. There is a kind of abandonment. If there's abuse, how often is there also unfaithfulness and adultery that go hand in hand with that? I've seen that. The abuser's also committing adultery. And that makes it a little more clean as far as what Jesus says. Okay? Um, But we can dive, dive into that a little bit deeper in the next hour. Something that keeps crossing my mind as you speak is how important the choice of who to marry and why to marry is. Excellent book on the topic is The Sacred Search. Thanks for covering this topic so well. That's not a question, but yeah, that's exactly it. And that's what I tried to say to singles. It's so important who you marry. Because even if it goes south, you've committed to staying with them for better or worse, and it can always get worse. It can always get worse. And why to marry? Why am I getting married? To covenant my life with this person for the rest of my days? Yes. To be one flesh with somebody for this physical existence? Yes. That's why you get married. Those are the ones I received. Um, If there's more, we can talk about it in cross-training. Again. Again. I know some people feel like they've unlawfully divorced. Let's just talk about being unlawful, period. If you've sinned, you go to Jesus and you say, I've sinned, will you forgive me? You died on the cross for me. And he promises to forgive you. He promises to forgive you. Would you stand with me now? We're gonna, I'm going to pray for you and us, and we'll be dismissed. If you want to dialogue on this more, like I said, 1045 will be in this room Discussing it.